talk with you today about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to take it from a little different direction than what typically I would speak on with regards to uh, like the baptism and the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that we believe in the baptism and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is still filling his people, giving them a heavenly prayer language. The prayer language is a, is a powerful tool that God gives, it gives to his people. I really encourage you to seek that in your life if you have not received the baptism and the Holy Spirit after salvation. I encourage you to go after that. But I want to take a, a little bit of a different uh, turn to the dealing with the Holy Spirit upon God's people. Now, in the AD TV series that we're following, they, they showed the, the first outpouring on those first century uh, Christians. They, they kind of portrayed it as, as they perceived it to be at, at that particular time. This is what the book of Acts tells us happened, chapters uh, 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, that happened in the New Testament. And to me, that speaks to us New Testament believers that this is something God wants to give to you. It is an empowering. It's not for just certain believers. It's for all who desire and who long for that infilling in their lives. So God's spirit fell upon the early church, those early believers, in a very supernatural, profound, and a new way. And it teaches us that this is still for us today. It's a New Testament uh, encounter with God and empowering by the spirit. But the truth is, God's spirit has always been moving and working in his people. In the Old Testament, I think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who knew the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of the Old Testament characters, all of them had the power of the Spirit working through them in particular ways. Nehemiah was a restorer. And I'm just going to give you the, uh, a brief a snapshot of his life here this morning and see what we can glean from it. Israel had been conquered by Babylon because of her rebellion against God. God had warned his people, if you rebel against me, I will, I will pull my protective power off of your life and foreign powers will be able to come in, foreign empires and people will come in, and they will conquer you. That's exactly what happened when the empire of Babylon conquered the Jewish people. This took place because the people of God had rebelled against God himself. But eventually, the kingdom of Persia rose as the supreme kingdom or empire in the world, and it conquered Babylon. And Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king of Persia now. That meant that he served the king personally. But it also meant that he had the king's ear. He could talk with him. And God had put him in a place of influence upon the greatest political power of his day. Nehemiah had received word of what had happened in his homeland. He had received word of how the walls of Jerusalem were completely destroyed, 
how the temple had been ransacked and destroyed, how the city itself was in chaos and destruction was everywhere. And so, with a burden from the Holy Spirit, he approached the king to see if he could go back to Jerusalem and organize a restoration process for the city. And this was the prayer that he prayed in Nehemiah 1, verse 11. Please grant me success now as I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And that is exactly what happened. The king graciously heard his request, graciously allowed Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to repair the chaos and the destruction of the city. And not only did he allow him to go back, but he helped him to pay for the project as well. You see, Nehemiah had the Spirit of God working in his life, hovering over his life. And because of that, miracles flowed. First, the presence of God went before him. Before Nehemiah ever talked to the king, the Spirit of God had already tenderized the king's heart, had made the king's heart tender towards his request. In chapter 2, verse 8, Nehemiah says, the king granted these requests. Look at this. Because the gracious hand of God was on me, because the Spirit of God was upon Nehemiah, the Spirit of God went before Nehemiah, prepared the way before Nehemiah so that miracles happened before Nehemiah even asked. Powerful. And the truth that comes to us from that is that when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, God's presence goes before you. This is so powerful. His presence is going before you to prepare your way for your victory. God's got it all laid out. God's got it right there at the right time, at the right process. He opens doors miraculously that seem to have no opening as far as you can tell. That's the power of the Spirit upon on the believer. Secondly, was the presence of God. The king even helped pay, excuse me, the provision of God. The king even helped pay for the city's restoration. This is so cool. Nehemiah 2, also I said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests. I have always been intrigued by Jesus' words and his promise found in Luke 6:38, where he said, give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over sh shall men give into your bosom. Now, what really intrigues me here in this scripture is what Jesus says about men, about God using people to, to pour into our lives his provision and his supply. You see, when the Holy Spirit is hovering over you, is working within your life, he is stirring up blessings for you. And you have no idea where those blessings are going to come from. 
As a pastor, I can tell you that there have been weeks that we have entered into a Sunday, and I will have said, God, it's going to take a huge miracle today to help us handle what issues are facing the church this week. Oh, God, will you have, I don't see how it can happen, but suddenly something miraculous will happen. The church treasurer will say, you aren't going to believe what took place. You aren't going to believe what came in the mail. You aren't going to believe the promise that came through the offering. You aren't going to believe the supply that God has brought to the church this week. I have seen it happen over and over and over again. I want you to get it into your heart, folks, that God's Spirit is stirring up blessings for your life. He is ready to pour them into your life. Don't you give up. You never know where they might come from. He might even use the ungodly to pour blessings into your life. I, I, uh, I, I was intrigued by the story. It's probably not a true story, but it's a cute one anyway, of, a, of an older uh, godly lady who lived next door to this atheist, and she used to pray loudly at her bedroom window, which really annoyed the atheist. But this particular day, she was in real need of food. She was destitute at that time. And so she went to her window and she started praying out loud. And her atheist neighbor heard her praying out loud for God's provision. As she prayed, the neighbor thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to get her now. I'm going to go out and buy those groceries for her, and when she thanks God for them, I'll spring on her the truth that I provided the groceries that wasn't God. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and he bought the groceries, and he put them on the front porch and rang the doorbell. And when the lady, little lady came to the front porch and saw, came to the door and saw those groceries there, she just began reading rejoicing and thanking God for his miraculous provision in her life. And just then this atheist neighbor jumps out of the bushes and he says, I got those groceries for you. God didn't give those groceries to you. I went out and bought them for you. What do you think of that? And she just started praising God and all the more and giving him thanks. And that confused the atheist neighbor. And he asked her, why are you praising God when I am the one who bought you the groceries, not God? And she said, because not only did I get my groceries, but God made the devil pay for them. <laughs> there you are, huh? <laughs> Jesus said, men will pour into your bosom, will pour into your life. You never know where it's going to come from. It looks like it's a blank wall for you right now, but God has provision, and he can use anybody, even the devil, to bring blessings into your life. He did it for Nehemiah. He'll do it for you. Third was the protection of God. So you have the presence of God. You have the provision of God. And then he had the protection of God. The king was uh, sent his army to protect Nehemiah. Verse number 9 says, The king had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect them. As they moved from the Persian Empire and the, and the, and the head of the, uh, the capital of the Persian Empire back to Jerusalem, the many, many miles that they had to travel, uh, God stirred the king to provide protection for God's people as they made their way back. God has legions of angels poised, ready to defend you should the call come. 
He is never out of power. He is never without, uh, without assets. He'll not leave you exposed. He'll not leave you unprotected. You can run to your God, and he will give you the provision of protection. That's what happened to Nehemiah, and that's what will happen to every one of us when the Spirit of God is working within our lives. So I want to take us now to two portions of Scripture that I think really speak about how the Holy Spirit will work in our lives as we allow him to do so. And the first is from Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. And I would basically talk to you here about the Spirit's hovering and brooding over your life. You'll pick up what I'm talking about as we read these scriptures. Genesis 1, 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Let's see how some other translations into English translate or render the Hebrew there. The New Living puts it, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the Amplified Bible puts it this way, the Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. Now, I find this fascinating. The Hebrew word that is translated into English as moved upon in the King James Version literally means to vibrate in a rapid back and forth motion or to flutter. So get that in your head. The, the Holy Spirit was moving, was vibrating back and forth, was fluttering back and forth upon the face of the earth because the earth was void. It was formless and void. It was empty. It's kind of like if you've watched any of these nature shows of male salmon who are fertilizing the egg over the nest that the female has created in preparation to to spawn the new generation of salmon. Male salmon, if you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about, will actually flutter back and forth very quickly and release their, their sperm to, to fertilize the eggs that the females have, have laid. Now, this fluttering of the spirit was happening when the earth was without form and was void. So what does this mean? Genesis is telling us here that before life could take place upon the earth, before life was given to the earth, that happened, by the way, on the fifth day of creation, one of the things that had to happen first was that the Spirit of God had to hover over the surface, had to energize the earth, had to get it ready for the reception of God's life that he was going to bring. So in verse 2, the spirit is fluttering back and forth. He's creating the environment for this void to become alive with life and with power from God. Interestingly, this also got the earth moving on its rotational axis, creating gravity and the electromagnetic forces which would then sustain the life that God was going to place upon the planet. And it all happened because the spirit was hovering, was fluttering over the face of the deep. Now, I'm not talking about science. I'm not a scientist. But I'm talking about the spirit of God fluttering, hovering 
over your life. You see, it was impossible for anything good to come out of the formless void that was the earth at that time that Genesis 1-2 talked about. You could have looked, had we existed, we could have looked at that formless void and say, nothing good can come out of this. But when God's spirit started hovering, everything came together by the power of God to produce the most remarkable display of God's genius, creation. And the one word that was used over and over again by God himself to describe what was taking place was the word good. And it was good. Now, you may be going through the most difficult void experience you have ever experienced in your life. Maybe right now you're experiencing that. And it seems impossible. It seems unthinkable. It seems undoable. No way out. But God wants you to know that if you will let his spirit hover over your life, hover over that situation, things will begin to change. Miracles will begin to happen. That impossible financial situation is going to change because God's spirit is hovering over your finances. Those impossible kids, hallelujah, are going to change. They're going to soften as the spirit of God hovers over them. That physical trial you're experiencing in your life right now is going to find remedy, going to find healing as the spirit of of life hovers over your sick or diseased body. That lifeless, impossible situation that dares you to trust God will find the energy of God's spirit life flooding into you and into your life when God begins to hover over it, infusing that situation with his life. Now notice the second word here. It's the word brood. We get it from the Amplified. The Spirit of God was moving, was brooding over the face of the waters. What does brooding remind you of? It reminds me of a bird sitting on the nest, incubating the eggs as they hatch. This speaks of time. The, the, the bird doesn't sit on the eggs and in three hours we have hatchlings. There's a process, there's time. As the spirit energized the earth through its fluttering, through its hovering, to receive this life from God, it also brooded over the earth, over creation, until at the exact right time, life came forth. It hovered, creating the conditions for life. And it brooded, bringing forth the life. Some of you have been tempted to give up on your dreams because it feels like nothing's happening. You've been tempted to give up on what you felt were God's promises to you because it seems like he's not moving. Maybe he's not living up to his promises. Others of you are still standing in your faith, but your faith is struggling. It's weakening. I want to encourage you this morning 
The Spirit of God is brooding over the project called your life. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. I know we want it right away, but the brooding takes time until God by the Spirit at that right time brings forth the exact life that he wants to take place within your life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God does everything just right and on time, and he'll be on time with your life as well. The second scripture I want to take you to today speaks of overshadowing, and it's from Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It says, then the angel said to her, we're talking about Mary here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you like a shining cloud and the holy, pure, sinless thing or offspring which shall be born of you will be called the Son of God. This verse is familiar to the Christmas story. The angel told Mary that the power of the Most High would overshadow her. The word overshadow so beautifully describes what happened to Mary on that day. It wasn't a sexual experience, but it was a deeply powerful and profound experience. The word overshadow takes us back into the Old Testament, especially as the Spirit of God would settle down upon the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35 read, Then the, the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The word covered there is the same word for overshadow. It overshadowed the tabernacle. And Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, had overshadowed it, and the glory of the Lord filled his house, the tabernacle. And the Bible calls the glory of God, in, in this context, God's Shekinah glory. I know that's an odd word for us today, but it's a Hebrew word. And it literally means the dwelling place of God. God's Shekinah dwelling glory came down upon the tabernacle. And it would fill the tabernacle and it would dwell there. And when his spirit overshadowed it, it, it affected what people could do, whether they could go in or come out, whether they could stand or whether they would fall. The power of God was so awesome. In fact, that same glory overshadowed the, the dedication of the temple, of Solomon's temple. And many of you know the scripture about that. When, and, and when that, that script, the scripture says that when the spirit overshadowed Solomon's temple, that the priests could no longer do their work, God's presence was so awesome, so life-changing. The power of God just settled down, and you could feel it. We're not, it wasn't something that people just gave a, a mental assent to. It, there was a physical experience that happened when the power of God overshadowed his his people. And when that power overshadowed Mary, it didn't just overshadow a tabernacle or a temple, but it overshadowed Mary. And when it overshadowed Mary, it produced a miracle out of an impossibility. The seed of God 
was planted in her womb, which produced a miracle birth, and his name was Jesus. And the implications of that are powerful for us too. When you allow the Holy Spirit to overshadow you, your life will become a receiver, a repository of God's glory and miracle power. When the Spirit overshadows you, a miracle will be born within you as well. And it's interesting to me that God should use a virgin to produce this miracle, produce this son. That tells me that when God's Spirit overshadows a situation, nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what people threaten. It doesn't matter what your boss recommends. It, what matters is what God wills. His power, his plan, nothing is impossible when God is overshadowing a situation. In fact, the angel reminded Mary of that very thing in chapter 1, verse 37, when he says, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. That, that's the potential when we allow God's spirit to hover over us, to brood over us, to overshadow our lives. So the obvious question is then, how can this happen in my life? How, do, how does the Spirit overshadow, brood over me? I want to suggest two things to you. Number one, surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Never be afraid of God. Some people are so afraid. I'll be a fanatic if I start doing that. Don't you ever be afraid of what God will do in your life. Mary said to that angel, I just love it, in verse 38, Luke 1, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She surrendered. Now listen, this was a big deal. In Jewish customs and law, she could have been taken outside town and stoned to death for this. So this is a big deal for her to say, I surrender, Lord. But we sang that this morning, didn't we? All to Jesus. I surrender, except for this problem I have. I'm going to keep hold of that myself. I'm going to worry about that myself. I'm going to get angry over that myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to surrender that. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep control over that one. If you don't surrender it, God's Spirit will not overshadow it. You've got to surrender it, and you do this in prayer. I don't know how many people I've counseled. It becomes very apparent what our first order of business is when we go through a problem. What our reaction is becomes a story of what's in our heart. It, it reveals what's in our heart. And when we don't pray, when we don't seek God, when our first order of, of a process to a crisis is to worry or to complain or to get angry or to get on the phone or to, to 
argue with our spouse or whatever it might be, when that's our first order, we're telling something about ourselves. Let it be the first order of business for you when you hit that impossible situation that you run to God and you surrender to God that situation and you cry out for the Spirit to brood over you, to overshadow you, to hover over you and bring something great and life-filled out of the emptiness and void of what you're experiencing in your life right then. There's no other way of doing it. Running in for counseling to me isn't going to fix you. It's... It's the hovering of the Spirit. It's the brooding and overshadowing of the Spirit. The second suggestion I would give you would be this. Trust the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Mary did. She was so afraid. She had so many questions. But her response to God was, I trust you. Do with me as you will. Do with me as you will. You've got to learn to trust that what God is doing in your life is for the best because God is good and all the time God is good here at Life Church we pray that you have a blessed week please connect with us on Facebook Twitter or Instagram or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com